Six games to go in the A-League women's season and the race for finals places is heating up as the jostling at the top of the table has opened up a potentially thrilling title race. After what seemed like an inevitability just a month ago, Melbourne City dropped points again this time to Sydney FC. Same old problems for Canberra as they lose more points from a winning position against Perth who still remain winless in their last month of play. Western get their fourth win on the trot thanks to their returning Matilda as news breaks that they are finally going to have a home ground in their own catchment area. The Mariners and Victory share points just like they've been sharing their goalkeepers and the Wanderers hang on to their top six position with a win over the Newcastle Jets on this episode of the A-Leagues of Our Own podcast presented by the Inner Sanctum. My name is Lachlan Abel and joining me on this uh, strangely warm and rainy afternoon down in Melbourne is Christian Montagan. Hello to you. Hey Lockie, yeah, a bit of strange weather going on down here, but that's typical Melbourne weather, I guess. It is. It's almost like the worst conditions for football as well. You have the rain being annoying, but you don't even get the relief of some cooler weather. It's all warm and sticky as well. Yeah, exactly. You love the rain anyway. People who love tackling, it's just the weather for it. But yeah, like you said, buddy, <laughs> True. Well, hopefully it doesn't interfere with our podcasting performance. We are indoors and the rain subsided, so hopefully we'll be okay. But we'll, uh, we'll start with our game of the week, which is Perth Glory 2, Canberra United 2. Obviously, the uh, exclamation point on this game, Christian, an absolute wonder strike from Isabel Dalton. Very nice way to score her first goal, uh, goal of the season in the 92nd minute to rescue a point for Perth and much needed after a couple of losses in a row. Yeah, definitely. I just want to touch on first. I think commendable effort from Canberra first off, just you know, to be minutes away from you know snatching three points away from home in Perth. You know, taking into account you know the struggles they've had this season. Um, and I, it all came down, I guess, basically that free-flowing attacking football that you know, we're so accustomed to Canberra, uh, you know, displaying all season. Now you've got you know, how many times you've got Flannery on the on the wide areas. You've got Michelle Heyman who can obviously you know put in the goals when needed. A lot of teams don't have that, you know, especially when you do need a goal, like in a game such as this with massive fixture on the line. So you've got Rojas, Milanovic, so all those players linked up very well which you know gave Canberra the 2-1 lead heading in but just those dying stages yet again just the defense that defensive structure just unable to sew together just stay compact for the last 10 to 15 minutes just to solve the result and you know Perth to their credit they they find the last minute winner which is a great strike from Dalton I'm not too sure if it, it took a slight deflection I don't know maybe. if you're lucky maybe but yeah, nonetheless, I mean, Perth aren't going to complain, especially I think they're sitting sixth now on the table. So they need yeah. all the points they can get to, to see, see our performance. I do, I do find myself getting a little bit frustrated watching these days because it feels like it's the, the same old story all over again. Uh, like, as you say, they're so dynamic in attack. You know, that, that first goal, Flannery, Milivojevic, Heyman, one-touch passing through the middle of the field. Then their wing play with Flannery, Grove and uh, Bertolicio as well also got forward from fullback. Heyman drifted wide out onto the wing and, and showed her one-on-one skills as well as just being that target player in the box. So they're so good. And then the defending just consistently is letting them down. And you mentioned the structure in there as well, but just personal efforts, I think, has just been a, a failure for them at points this season. You know, for the first goal, Sasha Grove just completely misreading the ball that comes in uh, to that Fong Song Cam and uh, ends up putting home. 
There's another one in around the 80th minute or so where Rigby's high cross just manages to fall into the chest of the, the attacker. And it's like, you just, you just have to deal with those balls better. You know, you have to be more aggressive, closing down harder and not letting the opposition have that much space around your penalty box. And it could be a case of maybe a formation issue with Canberra because in this game, you obviously got Michelle Heyman as the sole striker up top. And then they sort of played with four, four players just behind it. So I don't know whether that was just sort of a couple box to box plays, and obviously got the likes of Flannery down, down you know the right hand side, you know bombing up forward, and you know tracking back as well. But especially like I said in the last ten to fifteen minutes, do you need to sort of sub on an extra defender on just to see the game out? A couple of defenders even. I know the depth might be a bit of an issue there, but it's just little things like that that at the end of the day they cost you two points, and and yeah, Perth get get the point. And then the unfortunate injury to Morgan Aquino as well in this game. She's been one of the stars uh, for Perth and of the league between the sticks this season. Alexa Parkas uh, said that she was taken straight to hospital after the game, suffered significant damage to her arm after a collision with Michelle Heyman. That's a big loss for Perth, especially in this part of their season where they're trying to turn their results around. Aquino has been often the shining light that's kept them in contests and now they're going to have to do at least a few games, it seems, without her. Yeah, she's obviously been a key piece to Perth's puzzle this season to to be in the position they are obviously early on. Well, Paletti even was saying that they're sort of championship contenders or even favourites to that point. So to lose a player like Aquino, for, is it um, is it confirmed the week she's out for? I don't think so. No, I couldn't find anything. Yeah, but hopefully, yeah, even if she comes back in, in the final series or whatnot, some, for some players it takes a bit of time to, to find their rhythm and momentum. Others, they just click straight into gear and it, it's no problem. So hopefully the latter is the case for Perth because they really need her to, to push uh, deep into finals. Yeah, I mean, that's assuming that they make finals as well. They're, they're now winless in at least their last five games, I believe, uh, some draws and losses in there. They're hanging on just to by a point to the Central Coast Mariners who are sitting in seventh. They've managed to stem the bleeding a little bit with a couple of points here and there, but... You know, after such a good start, and I'll put my hand up, I was with Paletti calling for them to be top two material. Uh, you know, they're in danger of falling out of the finals and you couldn't have predicted that a few months ago. And I guess you can sort of put that down to experience as well. I think we often underestimate that sort of factor in football where that's the area where I thought, okay, yeah, Perth are playing very well this season, but when crunch comes to crunch and those key moments are there to be, you know, one for the three points, etc., they're just haven't had that full season together as a club where they've experienced, you know, especially the lows where, you know, okay, you're experiencing some adversity. How are you going to bounce back from that? And we're seeing now that Perth are sort of in a, in a rough spot at the moment, but yeah, we'll see in time whether they can, you know, sort of bounce back. Like I said, we'll wait and see. All right. Well then let's move on to Melbourne city, nil uh, Sydney FC, nil. Of course, we mentioned this yesterday on the men's pod in, in the intro, but uh, a small little delay to kick off in this one with the team bus going to the wrong location and not ending up at Casey fields. It's, it is big A-League stuff, isn't it? Like you mentioned yesterday with ALM podcasts, I mean, <laughs> this is, this is the definition of peak A-League's moment when it's not necessarily <laughs> stuff that happens on the field. It's these little moments off the pitch that just like the kit incident with the West United Phoenix game. It's just, you just shake your head. You think just how on earth does things like this happen? I know mistakes do occur, but yeah, this is a clanger. And of course, Melbourne City and Sydney, uh, two, 
teams that will be up there fighting for that title. You know, you could argue this game was a bit of a six-pointer and a draw does keep City in the race for sure. Uh, sorry, Sydney in the race for sure with just six games remaining in the season. They're now three points behind City who sit at the top of the table. And to be honest, it was all Sky Blues in this game. They have lower possession as we expect against this City side who hold the ball quite well. But, you know, Sydney had many more chances, higher quality chances, Princess Abini, Courtney Vine, Manny Caspers, all, all with good opportunities. And then, of course, the penalty as well from Abini that was saved by Melissa Barbieri. They had plenty of chances in this game where City did not. And I think they'll be kicking themselves a little bit that they didn't get three points. Yeah, on the eve of this game, Dario Vitasic spoke to the press. And I just wanted to bring up this interesting quote. In the past, Sydney have allowed us possession and wait for us. We just have to be cautious of how we play and not give them those moments for those transitions. I don't know about you, Lockie, but as Anteurus heard that and played that in the dressing room, because that was the exact epitome of what happened in this game. It was just literally pinpoint. Yeah. But honestly, I think the possession was 60 to 40 in City's favour. And you mentioned it that, yeah, we did expect that with the quality that City do have. They like to possess the ball, dominate and dictate play. But Sydney are just so good on the transition. And it was just those key moments like, Vitasic was referring to in that presser that they just weren't they weren't able to I guess neutralize and I think very fortunate they came away with just the point because Sydney obviously deserved it. I think 19 shots to two as well. So that stat alone just proves that they definitely deserve the three points. And I think that was the obvious game style for Ante Juric to go with because especially considering Melbourne City's outs that they had this week. Uh, Rebecca Stott and Hannigan Wilkinson, two players that are very crucial for their build-up, their Kiwis, of course, that were away on international duty. We've talked about how City play before and how Stott plays this uh, defensive midfield hybrid role where she steps up when City have the ball and she's a crucial link in that build-up phase. And then Hannah Wilkinson, you know, the tall, strong center forward that can drop deep and, and provide that long target player option if they need as well, often helps them bail, them bail themselves out of situations. So two very key pieces that they were missing and, and without them, they really struggled to move the ball and, and find that decisive pass that would unlock the final third for them. And that was really the story of their game. As you say, holding on to about 60% of the ball, but not being able to do a, a whole lot with it in advanced areas. And it wasn't more so that they lacked that cutting edge and that goal scorer. It was more of, like you mentioned, not having Hannah Wilkinson there just as an option just to hold the ball up and just get others into play, which you know they've got so many wide players. You've got you know, Daniela Gallage, for example. So many players that they can rely on in you know, that sort of link-up play. And without her in that central position, they just struggled to to create any sort of meaningful chances. And, you know, the two shots on goal for the, the whole game just indicates exactly why they struggled. Mm. And the penalty save, we should spend a little bit of time on that. Barbie Airy stepping up, coming in. Of course, uh, Melbourne City have, have lost their number one goalkeeper. Barbie Airy comes in. She is the number one now, and she sure made good use of that opportunity. I mean, to be 43 years of age and to, to come up big in, in those moments, just showing all her experience in the world. I mean, how many years has she been in the A-League for? I mean, probably close to like 15 years, probably. I mean, she's just been a stalwart of the game. And yeah, credit to her. It wasn't actually a bad penalty uh, in the end. I thought, um, you know, some penalties, you know, can be a bit hit and miss. But to Barbieri's credit, very good save, uh, very good diving to um, her right-hand side. And yeah, 
uh, hopefully this can be sort of you know the cornerstone to to keep her spot and you know show this good form into hopefully finals. And it really does set up an interesting title race now. As I said, City and Sydney only three points apart with Western United sandwiched in the middle as well. Then you count in the Wanderers who are only seven points away from the top but do have the game in hand as well. So they're not completely out of the conversation. It's getting really tight and and you consider that battle for the low final spots as well. We talked about how condensed and how even it is and, you know, the cliche of anyone can beat anyone on their day. But it, it does seem to be really turning out like that towards the business end of this season. Yeah, I think we're at a different mindset now compared to when we did our predictions a few weeks ago saying that perhaps City are sort of, you know, they're set to perhaps run away with it. Maybe we had Perth Glory like you and Paletti did to to be the number one challengers, but obviously they've fallen off. And I mean, at this moment in time, I think Sydney are probably the number one challengers, not just because of their performance and the way they were able to neutralize City uh, just this week, but just against anybody, they can sort of have the ability to adapt you know, tactically and they've got the experience of Ante Juric there on the bench and some of the players they've got obviously at their disposal, I think they're a real threat just to sort of sneak in where you didn't expect them to and maybe yeah, clinch the title. Who knows? And this is without a large amount of their defensive stocks that we were worried at the start of the season that they'd really struggle without. So to be able to be in that position, the other team that will challenge them is Western United. And the news in terms of their club this week is that they're finally going to be moving out to their sort of semi-permanent home, if you want to put it that way, out in the West in Tarniat. The regional football facility out there is almost complete with the club to move in imminently. The first fixture will be a women's one. It will be at the game against the Newcastle Jets on the 17th of March. And they say that will be closely followed by MPL Victoria and A-League men's games as well. So, Christian, obviously this is good news in isolation. Uh, it's a bit indicative of a lot of struggles that Western have had in the past. But by itself, this is a good news story. And, and finally, they get it to play in their catchment area where their fans are that they're trying to target to come to their games and, and hopefully a little bit of home consistency, not having to play at Amy Park and Tasmania and all these places. Yeah, so I think from the outside looking in, people will, I guess, question why this project has taken so long to get up in the, off the ground and sort of complete. But I guess at the end of the day, they've got the 5,000-seat capacity stadium, which for me, for a club like West United, just you know coming into the league for quite a few seasons now, and the women's team just establishing, it's. I think it's perfect because this shouldn't be seen as, I guess, the end goal. They need to find other ways to attract fans because we've seen even with Melbourne City, with all the money and investment they've got, they're still struggling in that area to to attract the fans. And I know they're competing with Melbourne Victory, and that's obviously West United's problem as well with uh, you know the biggest club in Melbourne you know, by far. That's been in the league since, what, 2005. So they need to find, you know, other ways of um, yeah attracting those fans like I said but all in all this is a, a great start for the club and much needed for not only just you know profit making opportunities but uh, just for the fan base in general just to have a have a home to call to so so yeah it's, it's good stuff for them. And, and as you say this isn't the end goal uh, we heard a couple of months ago more commitment to build their 15,000 capacity stadium. I believe it was for the 26-27 season, which is still a little while away. Of course, that's taken significantly longer than it should have and what was promised by the bidding process initially. 
Um, but the fact that it is happening and there's a little more security around it now is good. And look, despite all the problems, you, 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 I'm still a believer in the future of Western United. And if they can, they will be the only club to own their stadium, which is a very rare thing in Australian football. And it will provide them great longevity once they do get set up. And yes, it's taken a little while, uh, but hopefully this can be the start of, of more prosperous years uh, for Western United. But the game they did play on the weekend uh, was a 3-2 win against Brisbane Raw. Christian Chloe Legazzo gets the call up to the Matildas earlier in the week and she was the hero in this one. Two goals, including a 92nd minute penalty to get the three points and the fourth win in a row for Western. Yeah, exactly right. You can tell Legazzo has that extra bit of confidence to her, you know, obviously she suffered that disappointment not making the Women's World Cup squad for injury reasons. But, I mean, just recently, the past few weeks, you can tell there's a spring in her step. She's got the confidence and the belief, like I said. And even that that penalty at the end of the 90th minute, just the composure she showed when her team needed her most, uh, you know, to get second place on the line and, you know, to, to bury in that fashion, I thought, um, you know, it took a lot of courage and... Yeah, even even the first goal that she scored, I mean, off the corner, she's definitely a threat from from the aerial set pieces. So um, definitely a good piece for the West United to to have at their disposal. Um, but yeah, all in all, I thought it was a, definitely a deserved win for United, who I thought uh, Catsmith side dominated for for most of this game. It's funny because you're right; they did dominate, but they didn't score a goal from open play. They had plenty of opportunities, but I think it might have been two corners and the penalty, obviously, or maybe a free kick in there as well. All goals of set pieces, but they did have the dominance in regular play and they deserve to win this game. Brings them just one point away from the league leaders as well. Melbourne City, they're in that race, as we've mentioned. From a Brisbane perspective, Sean Fry was you know, clearly the standout down the left wing for them. A couple of lung-busting runs uh, down the paint on the left to bring it in for Kai Stevenson, who arrived late in the box for their first, as well as the ball into Mia Corbin for the second. So... You know, shining light for Brisbane in, in what's been a ever more difficult season. Do you reckon that Taranto penalty was a pen? I think she puts a lot of mayonnaise on it, uh, but there is contact to the hip. And she, yeah, she does go down quite easily. Um, and maybe if she doesn't go down, she doesn't get the penalty. But I think it's hard to argue after the referee gives it. You can tell at the same time, though, she... You can tell what she was doing. She was trying to put her right leg forward, just trying to go into the challenge. But at the same time, that contact initially happened straight away. So you can't argue with it. It's a, a penalty for me. But yeah, I see what you mean. A bit of mayo on there as well. <laughs> Absolutely. Definitely making the most of the situation. For Brisbane, they continue to struggle to defend set pieces as well. We mentioned uh, that's how Western scored their goals, but it's how Brisbane allowed them to come in. It's been a problem for them all season. Yeah, it's definitely one area where they just haven't been able to, whether they just don't have the personnel in the defense or they're just not focusing on training. I mean, we've seen some clubs even, you know, across Europe, for example, where they've just been getting in these tactical um, set-piece coaches where they just train on these sort of things where it's just these little details that are honestly the difference between, you know, winning and losing games. And for Brisbane, just to, just the, the marking in general just isn't, up to scratch for, you know, if you're playing in a professional league, the the domestic league, the A-League, like it's, it just needs to be better. But like I said before, Lagaza is an aerial threat. There's no shame in conceding ahead of her, but it just needs to be much tighter than, than what they're showing. 
and Western United, they're an interesting one because obviously they were grand finalists last year, but started the year slow with Mark Torcaso. And ever since Cat Smith's come in, they've really rebounded. Perhaps from their success last year, we shouldn't be so surprised that they're making a late run at the top of the table. So you're saying that if Cat Smith stayed at the Wanderers, the Wanderers would be in second spot? No, no, it doesn't work like that. (laughs) (laughs) No, but honestly, I just didn't expect them to rebound this quickly. I thought, you know, considering the the rough stuff they did experience, I thought they honestly struggled to make the top six in general. But to be second place, obviously Cat Smith has gotten them more defensively sound. And that happened a few weeks ago. I think it was her first game in charge against Adelaide. And I think that was the perfect game for them to to sort of find their new identity, especially defensively. And it's now progressing you know, further and further. And it's great to see them um, just rebound. All right, we'll move on now to Central Coast Mariners 1, Melbourne Victory 1. A uh, great attendance at this game, over 4,000 fans in the house. And I really love, Christian, the, the goalie dynamic in this game. Of course, we know uh, Casey Dumont, her debut for the Central Coast earlier in the year was against Melbourne Victory, uh, who she's won championships for, sometimes off her own back as well. She played as well in this game, but then in the opposite net was Courtney Newborn who started the season in goals for the Central Coast Mariners and has then come over to the Melbourne Victory uh, to replace the injured Lydia Williams. So the Mariners and the Victory swapping goalkeepers, sharing goalkeepers, and they end up sharing the points here. I tell you, this league never fails to disappoint. I mean, you could probably put that in the category of peak Alex moments as well. You probably could. You could. But yeah, I mean, obviously I want to mention as well, wonderful to see Emily Gilnick start to find the form that got her into previous Matilda squads. So I think, you know, after the Michelle Heyman um, squad selection for these upcoming Olympic qualifiers, I think you'd have to argue that Gilnick's probably next in line to sort of, you know, barge down the door and, you know, make a case for herself. You could probably say that. Um, I know she's come off the bench a couple of times for victory, still trying to find a match fitness. But, you know, I thought her goal was brilliant, the way she took the initiative upon herself to, you know, have the confidence to run with the ball you know, unleash a rocker from outside the box is absolute class. And she reminds me a bit of uh, Melina Ayres from, you know, a physical standpoint where, you know, she has the ability to also bring others into play. You know, there's never really a time where you see Gilnick too isolate on her own. She's always, you know, has a supporting cast around her. And that's credit to, you know, the likes of Alex Chidiak, uh, Rachel Lowe, who I think, they're really starting to find that chemistry and they're definitely, you know, a dangerous threat as well, along with the likes of, you know, Sydney and City, uh, et cetera. So I thought, you know, the tactical flexibility as well for victory, uh, I thought was also very impressive from, you know, Jeff Hopkins. I think this game they played with a 4-3-3 formation the previous uh, week before they played just with the sole striker. So just when you're coming up against teams of, you know, high, high caliber uh, because we've seen, you know, Sydney FC, for example, what they've been able to do tactically and been able to, you know, chop and change uh, with their formation and tactics. So that's definitely a positive for them, even though they did have to share the spoils in this game. Um, even, you know, to have Alana Murphy on the bench as well, to bring her on, just shows the amount of depth that this side has. And um, yeah, but honestly, from, from a Mariners point of view, though, Lucky, if I told you where the Mariners rank in the league for goals conceded, where would you? What would you say? Uh, without um, peeking at the ladder that's sitting right in front of me, maybe maybe eighth or ninth. So eighth or ninth worse? Yeah. Wrong. Well, so they've me. got the second best. Really? They've conceded eighteen. Wow. 
that would came as such a surprise because I'm watching this game and not just the Mariners, but the victory as well. The way they sort of set their teams up to play, it was very expansive. I think there was a combined total, I think 35 to 40 shots in this game. So just the amount of space that was you know created from not only just centrally, but out wide, I think was yeah pretty telling. And to see that stat, the Mariners can see the second least amount of goals in the league was yeah pretty surprising. So, so they have the opposite problem to Canberra. They can keep them out. They yeah. just can't score them. <laughs> Yeah, and that's honestly the problem. Who, do, who can you say up front for the Mariners that you know is a sort of given goal scorer that you know guarantees them goals? You can't really say that, but Canberra, like you said, a complete yeah. opposite. I mean, Wergamal is the obvious, like maybe choice. Like she's the best chance yeah. to be that player for them. And, you know, she started a little bit slow. She has shown what she's about in this last month or so, and she can be that player that puts in goals for them, I, I think. Um, and maybe, you know, she could peak at the right time. She gets a few more weeks. She's been looking better week on week so far this season and with another month and a half before finals, maybe she's just peaking at the right time. But I do think it's it, – that defensive record as well is incredibly impressive noting that they're a fresh team in the league this year and they're different players coming in under Emily Husband and she's created this system which, you know, as you say, apparently looks quite resilient with, you know, protecting their own net. Emily Husband touched on that preseason, how she wanted to make the defense sort of a number one primary goal for, you know, heading into the new season. Obviously, it's paid dividends with the the tactics and the way she's gone about it. Yeah, and I mean, if you can keep balls out of your own net come finals time, you're always in with a chance. I will just note quickly that the gap to number one is huge as well. Sydney FC only conceding 12 goals. Yep, and the Mariners have got Perth glory, I believe, this week. So I reckon whoever wins that game, I believe it's in Perth, I reckon they'll go on to make finals because it's a one-point difference between Perth 6th, Mariners 7th, and I think the fixture uh, schedule is roughly similar. So that's going to prove to be potentially a huge clash. Yeah, and you've got the Victory and Wanderers playing next week as well, who are currently sitting in 4th and 5th. So lots of big six-pointers there when it comes to those last few spots in finals. We will move on to the Wanderers game now. They got a 2-1 win over the Newcastle Jets. Again, another good crowd, almost 4,000 cramming in to watch them play, which is great to see. And uh, Christian, I know you want to talk about Libby Copas-Brown scored an absolute screamer in this game, and that makes two in two weeks for her as well. I think, honestly, she's one of the most underrated players in the league. I mean, like you mentioned, two screamers in two weeks now and should have had a couple more against the Wanderers. And, you know, maybe people don't see her in the same light because she's 26 and we often focus more on the teenagers and the girls in their early 20s with more potential to break through and have big careers. But I wouldn't be surprised if Copas Brown makes a a move to Europe next season because she's just so impressive, you know, as a sort of modern box-to-box midfielder who does a bit of everything and... You know, if you're a stats nerd and look at the shots, the Jets doubled the Wanderers tally with, it was 18 to 9 and so just about even possession. But what worries me a tad about the Jets is how many attempts they take outside the box, which shows me that they struggle in the final third to to pass their way through defenses and create sort of good angles and movements to stretch out the opposition. And that obviously, you know, means they have to revert more to long distance shots. And so someone like Emily Van Egmont was brilliant to help find that balance and that's potentially where they sort of miss her in that area i don't know if you agree lucky yeah i don't know it's an interesting one a lot of their progressive and like decisive passes came through van egmond when she was there and they have 
players like Cass Davis, who can get forward, but is much more of a six. You know, maybe they are missing that more creative kind of midfielder that's not Copus Brown to unlock a bit more of that potential. You, you may be right. I'm not sure. From a Wanderers perspective, though, Sophie Harding, she gets her ninth goal of the season and, and continues the incredible year that she's having in front of goal. Uh, and then Victoria Bruce as well with the late winner to get the win for the Wanderers. Western Sydney uh, bounced back after two losses on the trot to Adelaide and Brisbane, which would, did not do uh, their finals hopes any good, dropping points to teams down the ladder. But a win against Newcastle will give them a little bit of confidence and, and keeps them inside the six for now. Yeah, for the Wanderers, it's just been a roller coaster in terms of results where you know, they're coming back off, like you mentioned, back to back losses against Brisbane and Adelaide, where you probably pencil them in, surely to nick at least the point you know, out of them. But it reminds us, like in games like this, where they actually are mentally tough to, you know, weather the storm that the Jets showed throughout the first period of the game and, you know, to get back into the contest. Because undoubtedly they've got the talent there at their disposal, and like you mentioned, you know, Sophie Sophie Harding uh, leading the line. I believe that's her ninth goal of the season. You know, mature, composed finish, one on one with the keeper. I mean, to think that they're top of the victory with a game in hand is pretty surreal, considering you know some doubts that we discussed about them uh, before the season. You know, with a few off-field issues, including you know Cat Smith's departure uh, before the opening round. So. Yeah, very interesting to see them you know, in third place. I definitely didn't expect that. Um, I'm not too sure what your prediction was, lucky for them, where to finish up. But if they finish in you know, top four, let alone top six, that's an amazing effort from them. Yeah, to be honest, I can't remember what our predictions were. It's been a little while now. We might have to bring them up again and do a little tracker. Uh, but Christian, we might have to leave it there because this storm in Melbourne is making our job very difficult at the moment <laughs> trying to record this podcast right now. But I do appreciate you coming on with me to talk up this week. Uh, no worries at all, Lucky. Looking forward to next week and what it brings. All right. That will do for this episode of the A-Leagues of our own podcast. We'll be back on Friday uh, with a review of the AFC Cup ASEAN Zonal Semi-Finals. Uh, the Mariners and the Bulls both in action this week. And we'll have a little bit of NPL content as well as those uh, seasons start to begin around the country as well. So you can look forward to that. Uh, But thank you all very much for listening. Goodbye.